Tonight is gonna be a little different. It's a standalone message. As we finished up our We Need to Talk series last week, tonight is gonna be a standalone message. Um, And I'm super excited about it because what the Lord gave me is something that I've been learning personally in my quiet time, and I'm super excited. And it kind of can connect to the We Need to Talk sermon series, not in the sense of dating or marriage, but in the sense of relationships. And tonight, we're going to talk about how a man constantly pursues a woman, even when she constantly turns from him. And through um, our relationship series, we covered some heavy things. I know through the relationship series, we had college students sending questions we answered some of the questions that y'all had about relationships, about sex, sexual morality. We walked through pornography. We walked through lust. We walked through some heavy, heavy things. And through all of that, the Lord brought me to a topic tonight that we're gonna cover, and it's something that we all desire. It's something that we're all looking for, and it's restoration. That's what we're gonna walk through tonight. And if I could title my sermon, and this is the title of the sermon, it's Repentance Leads to Restoration. And again, restoration is something that I've been walking through in my personal quiet time. And my prayer for tonight has been that us as college students, when we repent and experience God's restoration, we will experience freedom from our sin. And that's what I've prayed for each of you as I've prepped this word that the Lord has given me, is that after tonight and after each night, because, man, Coach does a fantastic job each and every week, and he shares the gospel and gives us the truth, the word of God that allows us to be free from our sins. And that's from what Jesus did for us on the cross. But as I was studying, I looked up the definition of restoration. Love the definition of restoration because it's this right here. The action of returning something to a former owner, place, or condition. And if you write that definition down, I, you don't even have to write the whole definition down. I just want you to write restoration. I'll put, it's put it's on the screen. I want you to highlight action, the action, owner and condition. Because we're going to talk about a lot about repentance tonight, and repentance is our action. And if you don't repent, you can't have restoration. But here's the beautiful thing about this definition. It's the action of returning something to a former owner. That leads me to my first question of the night, college students. Who owns your heart? Who owns your life? Because depending on who or what owns your life, look at the end of the definition, condition, that will determine the condition of your heart. Who or what owns your heart determines the condition, excuse me, who or what owns your life determines the condition of your heart. And tonight we're going to come out of a book that many of y'all may have read, many of y'all probably have not read, and that's okay. We're going to come out of the, the book of Hosea tonight. I'm going to give you time to find Hosea. The book of Hosea will be in chapter 3 tonight. And one of the questions I want to ask us tonight, college students, does God own your life or does sin? And and before we dive into Hosea chapter 3, I want to set up um, the story of Hosea. The title is derived from the main character and author of the book. And as I was studying this, this is such, Hosea has so much foreshadowing to Jesus and the cross. The meaning of Hosea is literally salvation. Hosea translates to salvation. And this is the same as that of Joshua and Jesus. Hosea's pursuit of his unfaithful wife is symbolism towards how God pursued Israel even when they were unfaithful to him. Because many of y'all, if you've read through the Old Testament, you see the Israelites, they are, 
very quick to turn from God and turn from the world. You even see in the wilderness in Exodus, man, Moses had his hand full, hands full with the Israelites. Oh, we were better off in slavery when times got hard or when they didn't think the Lord was gonna provide for them. Why did you lead us out here? I, th- I wanna, in Exodus, it says what was supposed to be a three-day trip became 40 years because they disobeyed the Lord. How crazy is that? The first three chapters of Hosea establish a parallel between the Lord and Hosea. And it, again, it's such a beautiful picture. Both are loving husbands of unfaithful wives. Hosea and Gomer, that's his unfaithful wife. But then it's a parallel to God and Israel, the nation of Israel, God's people. And in chapter one, you see God tells Hosea to go marry a woman of promiscuity, go marry a prostitute. And he tells Hosea to go have children with this prostitute named Gomer. And in chapter one, and again, we'll be in chapter three, but I wanna set it up as we walk into chapter three. Hosea chapter one, you see the names of the three children that Gomer and Hosea have, and they represent the judgment that God is gonna bring on Israel. Their names spoke of the judgment that the Lord would bring on Israel. But then in chapter two, we read about God rebuking Israel's adultery, and that adultery being forgiven as well. It's a beautiful picture of how God is righteous in his judgment, but he's also faithful to forgive his people. God's people were turning to false gods and living in adultery, idolatry, excuse me. Anytime we choose sin over God, that is us cheating on him. The question is, do we view our sin as cheating on God? Do you view your sin as cheating on God? Because it starts with this, college students. Our perspective of God will give us the right perspective of sin. If you have the right perspective of God, you'll have the right perspective of sin. But if you have it backwards, you will live an empty life. If you don't view your sin correctly, you won't view God correctly. Or if you don't view God correctly, you won't view sin correctly. Sin separates you from Jesus. And Gomer cheating on Hosea time and time again brought hurt into that relationship. That same hurt is brought into our relationship with the Lord when we choose our sin over him. But tonight, I want all of us, like I said at the beginning, I want all of us as college students to be able to walk in freedom from our sin. And that freedom comes from being restored by the Lord. Hosea's relationship with Gomer and God's relationship with his people show that in a beautiful way, Hosea's relationship with Gomer and God's relationship with his people show this in a beautiful way. And y'all know me, I love sermons in a sentence. Daniel loves sermons in a sentence. And if I could summarize the sermon in one sentence, it'd be this right here. If you are faithful to repent, God will be faithful to restore you. If you are faithful to repent, God will be faithful to restore you. And I'm super excited to walk through this because this is, this is something I've been walking through in my personal life. I didn't give my life to the Lord until I was 18. And I didn't start walking with the Lord until I was 19, my second semester of college when I was at Southwest. And when I truly learned what repentance was and experienced God's restoration, I've been walking with the Lord for four years now, um, coming, ending up in, coming up in January 2022, four years. And when I talk to college students, I tell them this right here. I don't regret giving my life to Jesus. He changed my life. And college students, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I share the same truth with you. Jesus can change your life. The question is, will you repent and allow him to restore you? But now we're going to pick up in Hosea chapter 3 tonight. I'm super excited to walk us through this. Before we dive into the word, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to walk through God's word tonight. Heavenly Father, you're good, Lord. God, we thank you for you. 
We thank you for Jesus, Lord. We thank you for a bloody cross and an empty tomb, Lord. There's so, so much to thank you for, God. Lord, I thank you for this place, God. I thank you for how you bring college students to the view on a weekly basis, God. I pray you would grow us in wit and in depth of your word, God. Lord, we wanna hear from you tonight, Lord. God, I pray you would protect our minds, you would protect our hearts, remove any distractions from this room tonight, God. And Lord, I pray you'd rip open the roof tonight. You would come down and meet with us and speak a specific word to each of us in here, Lord. God, if anybody in here doesn't have a relationship with you, God, I pray that they would repent of their sins, they would believe in Jesus, and that they would receive you, your son Jesus, into their life as their personal Lord and Savior, God. It's in your son's precious name, amen. I'm gonna start by reading Hosea um, chapter three, verses one and two, and God's word says this right here. Then the Lord said to me, go again, show love to a woman who was loved by another man and is an adulteress. Just as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and five bushels of barley. <clears throat> number one, college students, point number one for tonight is God's love pursues us faithfully. Number one, God's love pursues us faithfully. And man, I am, thank I am thankful for that. Hosea was told by God to go again and marry a woman who's loved by another man and is an adulteress. And like I said, we first see this in Hosea chapter one when he got his original calling. Hosea one verse two says, when the Lord first spoke to Hosea, he said this to him, go and marry a woman of promiscuity and have children of promiscuity for the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord. God has told Hosea time and time again to pursue a prostitute named Gomer. And this is a beautiful symbol of how God pursues us when we turn from him. Hosea pursuing Gomer is a picture of how God was pursuing the Israelites, even though they turned to false gods and loved raisin cakes. And I know this isn't a sermon on adultery. We're focusing on restoration, but with the cross-referencing and things like that, it hits, it highlights adultery. In Deuteronomy 24 and Matthew 19, they both talk about how divorce is permitted, but by no means does God command divorce. Because if we're being honest, if any of us in here were told to or given a commandment like this, we'd be a little shaken up by it. Moses was a little shaken up by his calling. I imagine Hosea was a little shook by his calling for God to go tell him to marry a prostitute. And I know for us, if, if we're in a relationship, we just came out of a relationship series, if our, our boyfriend, girlfriend, or our spouse, if they were to cheat on us, I, get, I bet the first thing that would come to our mind in the world, the first thing that the world would tell us to do is divorce that person and leave them. But the most Christ-like thing you can do is forgive them. And we see that over and over again through God and the Israelites and Hosea and Gomer. Hosea was faithful to pursue Gomer even when she kept turning from him. And it's a picture of how God, he's faithful to us even when we choose to turn from him. And in Deuteronomy 24.1, it says this right here. If a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he may write her a divorce certificate, hand it to her and send her away from his house. And then we see Jesus speak on it in Matthew 19, seven through nine. He was asked, why then, they asked him, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? Look at Jesus' response. When Jesus gets asked a question, his response is always spot on. He told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. Hardness of your hearts. 
But it was not like that from the beginning. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual morality and marries another commits adultery. And as I was studying, I learned this. If God commanded divorce in the case of adultery, then he would go against his own command there. God doesn't command divorce. It's permitted, but only in sexual immorality. And as we walk through the, the we need to talk sermon series. Man, when things get rocky in marriage, when things get hard, the first thing people want to do is divorce and give up. Why? Because that relationship wasn't originally built on the rock, the firm foundation, Jesus Christ. And man, when, when you are done wrong, the most Christ-like thing you can do for a person is forgive them. Because when you hold on, and I love, I love 1 Corinthians 13. This isn't even my notes. Love keeps no record of wrongdoing. When you keep grudges against the people you love, and this isn't even for a marriage or relationship, this is just for your loved ones, your friends, your family. When you keep grudges against the people you love, that is like you holding onto the blade of a knife. You're hurting yourself more than you're hurting that person. But as soon as you let go of that blade and you forgive that person, your wounds start to heal and you can move on. I don't know who that's for tonight, but with restoration and with forgiveness, I ask you, who do you need to forgive in your life tonight? Because when you forgive them, you're, you're experiencing restoration there. This also shows us an important principle about love. Hosea is directed to love even when it must have been hard to love. College students, if we're being real tonight, and man, Daniel each and every week, and he's, he's trained me, oh, we're going to be real from the pulpit on Monday nights. We are hard to love at times. My sister is here tonight. She can speak for you. I am hard to love at times. I've been walking with Daniel since I was 13 years old. Hard to love at times. Aren't you glad that God doesn't stop loving you even when it's hard to love you? Even when you're hard to love, God still loves you. We're filled with many romantic illusions about love. And one of these illusions is that love has very little to do with our will. We're captured by love and follow whatever course it leads. But in principle, the scripture shows, another, shows us another way. Check this out. Love is largely a matter of the will, and when we direct ourselves to love someone God tells us we must love, it can and will happen. God told Hosea, he commanded Hosea to go love Gomer, and because of his obedience and faithfulness to God, he was able to do it. And this is what I learned from it. When we think of the greatness of God's love and compassion towards us, it should make us much more loving, compassionate, and forgiving towards others. When you think of the greatness of God's love, and I, that just points me to ask you, do you meditate on God's word? Do you sit on God's word? Because Psalm 103.8 says this. This is God's character. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. That's the God that loves you. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. And us as his people, made in his image, we're supposed to represent the same thing. But let me ask you this, college students, are we compassionate? Are you gracious? Are you slow to anger? Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. James 1.19. Are you abounding in faithful love? And we're not gonna be perfect. We're not gonna be able to do it like Jesus did because Jesus is perfect, being 100% man and 100% God. But are you pursuing Jesus? Are you pursuing to live a life like Jesus did? That's the question. 
And I asked myself, as I was learning all this, as I was going through this, the Lord smacked me around because I have to ask these same questions for my family. I have to ask these same questions for my friends. Do I treat them how Jesus would treat them in this situation? And in verse two, we see that Hosea bought Gomer for 15 shekels of silver and five bushels of barley. The silver combined with the barley equals about the same amount paid for a common slave in that time. And what's cool, barley was the offering of a person accused of adultery. And we see that in Numbers 5. Number 5, 15 says this. Then the man is to bring his wife to the priest. He is also to bring an offering for her of two quarts of barley flour. But more importantly than that, he demonstrates his love. Hosea demonstrated his love for Gomer through purchase. Hosea purchased Gomer because he loved her. Jesus purchased you, he purchased me on the cross because he loves me. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. And you get to walk in freedom if you accept that. Hosea didn't have to buy his own wife to hire as his prostitute. Gomer was his wife. But he did this to go the extra mile. He did this to show, hey, I will do anything and everything because I love you. And with this, out of verse, out of verse chapter two, it made me think about this. Think, think about this idea of purchase. It makes me think the, um, when I purchase something personally. Think about a time you purchase something personally. It could be a car. It could be a pair of shoes. It could be a hoodie. It could, it could be groceries. If you purchase something, it could be a new video game. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. But when we purchase something personally, what are we likely to do? We're likely to take better care of it and we're likely to respect it and love it because we purchased it. We did, we did that to receive that. And so for me, I think about the first time I bought my first car. The first, my first car that I drove, it was a 1997 Toyota Corolla. I thought it was the coolest 16-year-old at Barlett High School because my Toyota Corolla had black hubcaps on it. Got that for my birthday present. Yeah, my, my mom and stepdad hooked me up. Had black hubcaps on it. And since it's a 97, it had one of them old FM AM radios, you know. So my stepdad, he replaced it with a Bluetooth radio. So I could take my iPhone, connect it to my 97 Toyota Corolla. It was pretty alive. And my Corolla would be jamming. It'd be vibrating when I pulled into Barlett High School. And I thought I was the coolest student. It's because I purchased it. I remember, who all got a car note in here? Every, can y'all relate with me with car notes? Yeah, so we know, we know how car notes go. I remember the time when I paid my last car note. Paid in full. My car was paid for. It belonged to me. It didn't belong to the dealership. It didn't belong to the, the car lot anymore. That 97 Toyota Corolla had Dakota Tucker stamped on it because I paid for it. But, what, but here's the thing. Like I said at the beginning, when we purchase something personally, we're likely to take care of it more and we love it because we respect it because we purchased it. You know what my biggest pet peeve is when people get in my car? I bet y'all have the same pet peeve when they leave trash in my car. Yeah, mm, I know. I know. I, I, every, time, every time I get in the car, I find a Diet Coke can somewhere. I find a gum wrapper. I'm, I'm not throwing shots at anybody. <laughs> I'm, not throwing, I'm not throwing shots at anybody. Look, find Celsius cans from time to time. Look, my biggest pet peeve is when people leave trash. And I, look, it's probably, they probably get mad at me when I leave trash in their car too. But it's because when they leave their trash in my car, it, whether it's intentional or unintentional, it shows that they don't have the same respect or love for my car like I do because when I purchased my car, man, I want, that means I have to take care of it. I want to upkeep it. I want to keep it clean. And so I'm not just going to leave trash in my car. 
And so with this, how that translates is it's the exact same way with our relationship with the Lord. When we choose our sin, we are trashing our spiritual life. When you choose sin over the Lord, you are leaving trash at the feet of the cross, essentially. You are saying, your God has done this work for you. He's purchased you by his blood. But when you choose your sin, you're trashing your spiritual life. The Lord gets upset about that because the sin we're choosing isn't going to love us or care for us like he does. Your sin, the world does not care for you like Jesus does. Jesus loves you. He cares for you. I'm going to say this all night. He purchased you on the cross. He died for your sins on the cross because he loves you. Don't let yourself belong to sin, but belong to the one who created you and loves you. Because the world will never love you like Jesus loves you. And this was done as a display of love and the commitment that Hosea had. Like Jesus did that as a, to show he had a commitment to us. God desires a relationship with us, so he purchased us on the cross. And in providing in this way for his own wife, Hosea showed Gomer, I can give you what others can't. You don't need them. Let me show you how I can provide for your needs. College students, the same thing has been done for us. Jesus can provide for your needs. We have been purchased first by the blood of Jesus. And with that, he can provide for us in every way. And what's cool is when we purchase something, we purchase something with the intent to use it. When I purchased my car, it took me places. God purchased you because he wants to use you. You can be used by the Lord. I'm not gonna sit up here and say, I know what that looks like. But God can use you. You just have to be faithful and humble before him and allow him to use you. Such a beautiful picture. The question is, are we going to rely on him to provide for us? Are we going to run to the things of the world and try to let that provide for us? Because when you run to the world, I guarantee you every single time you'll be left empty. When you run to the world, every single time you'll still be looking, what will fulfill me? What will satisfy me? But when you run to Jesus, you know what you'll be filled with? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. When you run to Jesus, you get to live those things out. People will see those things in you. And then how you live your life points people closer to Jesus. And that's what it's about. Hosea 4.10 says this, they will eat but not be satisfied. They will be promiscuous but not multiply. For they have abandoned their devotion to the Lord. We quickly learn that when we try to fill ourselves with sin, we are left empty. But when we are devoted to God, we are filled with joy. And the point of paying for Gomer wasn't just to give up her trade as a prostitute. It was to bring her into a relationship with her husband who loved her, Hosea. That is the same goal that Jesus has for us. Hosea pursuing Gomer gives us the picture of how Jesus pursues a relationship with us. So many of us probably feel like God is far away or he doesn't care for us. Can I give you a truth for tonight, college students? God is so much closer than you think, and he cares for you far more than anybody else or anything else does. God is waiting for you to turn your back on sin and turn your face towards him. 
That's what repentance is. I love Pastor Steve, he describes repentance as a turn. You're walking one way, you come in contact with the gospel, you hear that Jesus loves you, you turn your back on your old ways. But what's crazy, here's the beautiful thing, when you turn from something, you have to turn towards something else. Don't turn from sin to sin and expect satisfaction and fulfillment. You have to turn from sin and turn your face to God and then you'll find the fulfillment that you're looking for. You'll find purpose. God created us, designed us with purpose. We don't create things or build things just to build them and say, look at this. We build things for purpose, for use. God created you for purpose, for use. You just have to give your life to the Lord and allow him to work through you. James 4, 7 through 8 says this right here. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. When we choose our sin, that's us running from the Lord. For the people in the room that feel like God is far from you, let me ask you something. Because it's a question I have to ask myself on a daily basis. How are you living your life? Because God's word says when we draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. So when we choose our sin, that's us turning our back on God and walking away from him. God never left us. It's us leaving God. And when we repent of our sins, when we ask for Jesus to forgive us, and draw back to him when we walk back towards him. He's, up, he's right there with open arms waiting to meet you, waiting to forgive you. God's faithful to forgive you. You just have to repent. And as we continue through Hosea chapter 3, I'll pick up in um, verse 3 right here. It said this. Hosea said, I said to her, you are to live with me. <clears throat> you are to live with me many days. You must not be promiscuous or belong to any man. Now act the same way towards you. For the Israelites must live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, and without ephod or household idols. Afterward, the people of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come with all to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. Not only does God's love pursue us faithfully, but number two, God's love restores us faithfully. God's love pursues us faithfully. God's love restores us faithfully. In our last three verses, we're gonna walk through a beautiful picture of restoration. Verse three, we see that Hosea tells Gomer that she is to live with him for many days. She should not be promiscuous or belong to any other man, and Hosea is to act the same way towards her. Another parallel, same way with our relationship with Jesus. We're not to belong to anything of this world. We're to belong to the Lord. And he, he's gonna do the same thing for us. It's us who has to be faithful. God doesn't lack in faithfulness. He's 100% faithful. We have to pursue 100% faithfulness. Verse four, the Israelites were to live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, and without ephod or household idols. And each of these have a specific meaning. Again, I encourage you, if you haven't read Hosea or studied Hosea, in my study, I've scratched the surface. There's so much more to this because there's so much foreshadowing and there's so much symbolism of Hosea to the Lord and Gomer to the Israelites. So when it speaks on this right here that the Israelites are supposed to live without these things, it's right, this is what it means. Each of these things have a specific meaning. Without king or prince in her fallen state, Israel will not have the national or political leadership she needs. In Hosea 13, 10 through 11, it says, where now is your king? that he may save you in all your cities. And the rulers you demanded saying, give me a king and leaders. I give you a king in my anger and take away a king in my wrath. 
And then it goes without sacrifice or sacred pillar. In her fallen state, Israel will not have the spiritual service she needs. And then without ephod, in her fallen state, Israel will not have the supernatural guidance and direction she needs. Each of these had a specific meaning. And again, Hosea 1 and Hosea 2, we see God's judgment on Israel. But then at the end of Hosea 2, coming in right here to Hosea 3, we see God's restoration of Israel. And after this, the people of Israel return and seek the Lord their God. They should return to God in his goodness in the last days. And in this time of spiritual and political ruin, Israel will return and seek the Lord again. This will mark their restoration, and there will be no restoration until they return back to the Lord again. When they return back to the Lord, that marked their restoration. College students, for each of you in the room that haven't returned to the Lord, if you want restoration, go to the Lord. I'm going to say it over and over and over again because that is the truth from God's word. Repentance leads to restoration. It takes an action. And this is the same that's true for us. We will not experience restoration until we return back to the Lord. And as I've said already, nothing of this world is good enough or sweeter than God's restoration. My question for each of us is, what is keeping you from experiencing the Lord's restoration? What's that one thing in your life that you just can't let go of that's keeping you from God's restoration? Because it's not good enough. It will not fulfill you. It will not satisfy you. It will not give you the joy that you're looking for. It won't give you the purpose that you're looking for. I'll say it again. God created you with purpose. You just first have to experience his restoration. And what's cool is this shows us that this prophecy will be ultimately fulfilled in the millennial kingdom where David will rule over Israel. And we see David become king of Israel in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And even more importantly, King David is a perfect example of if we repent, we can experience God's restoration. Many of us know that David was described as a man after God's own heart. I want to be, descri- I want to be described like that. Men and women in the room, you should desire to be described as a man after God's own heart. I don't want to be described about, I love, Daniel makes jokes about my shoulders and my weightlifting all the time. That's great stuff. I love weightlifting. I don't want to be described like that I, because that's not the most important thing about me. I want to be described that, that I'm a man chasing after God. And not for my glory. Dakota, Dakota's name's going to pass away, but I want to be described after a man after God's own heart because it's for Jesus' glory. Because when I pass away, Jesus' name is still going to reign. We sang it in that worship song. Jesus reigns. When I pass away, Jesus is still going to be working. When I pass away, Jesus is still going to change lives. Dakota can't change lives, but the work and the power of God can change lives. The question is, have you experienced that? Have you experienced God changing your life? Because back in, I remember 18 years of my life, I didn't know what it was, but I was at a beat, and I remember, I talked to college students on a weekly basis, and when they talk about baptism, when they talk about their salvation, I asked them about that moment that they gave their life to the Lord. Can they pinpoint it? Because your testimony is your life before Christ, when you met Christ, and then the rest of it is how God has changed your life afterwards. For me, college students, I I walked in darkness and sin for 18 years. But when I repented of my sins, when I got plugged into godly community, when I started reading my Bible, when I started praying, God's word, God radically changed my life. Have you experienced life change? Because you can. God is faithful to restore you, and God loves you. All you have to do is repent and you'll be restored. 
Nothing in this world, nothing in this world is good enough. And when I share the gospel, I say this every single time because there's weight to it, there's importance to it, and I believe it when I say it. There's nothing good enough in this world that should keep you from a relationship with Jesus. I've never met a person in my life that regretted because I regret giving my life to Jesus. If you know somebody, let me talk to them because they haven't given their life to Jesus. Jesus loves you. He will change your life. He will provide for you. He's there for you. Draw near to him. In 1 Samuel 13, it says this right here, but now your reign will not endure. This is talking about King Saul right here because he was disobedient to the Lord. The Lord has found a man after his own heart and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not done what the Lord commanded. But even a man after God's own heart fails and needs to be restored by God. 2 Samuel 11 speaks on uh, David's adultery with Bathsheba. So a man after God's own heart, he's described as a man, I'm sorry, just went totally blank, described as a man after God's own heart, and he still needed to experience restoration. But I'm going to take it a step further. What blows my mind even more about David's sin is it happens after one of the greatest covenants in the Bible, and it's the Davidic covenant. 2 Samuel 7 tells us about this covenant. And I'm not going to go too deep into this because this requires so much more study. But I don't want us to miss this right here. David was told that Jesus would come from his bloodline. That's, that's hype. If I'm, David should get excited about that because the Messiah of the world, the kings of kings, was going to come from his bloodline. And in 2 Samuel 7, starting in verse 11, it says this. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. When your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, even King David had a time to pass. I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. Verse 13 is my favorite. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Jesus' reign, Jesus' kingdom is forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men and blows from mortals. But my faithful love will never leave him as it did when I removed it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever and your throne will be established forever. College students, here's the encouragement. David, a man after God's own heart, and Jesus came from his bloodline, yet he still needed and received restoration. How much more do we need restoration? The question is, do you want restoration? I pray you do, because when you experience restoration, you'll experience freedom from your sin. You'll experience freedom from your sin. I'm gonna cross-reference to, this is a psalm, and this isn't in my notes, and I'm gonna go into the application of this right here. Psalm 103, if you've, if you've hung out around me, you know I've read, I've, I've been talking about Psalm 103 for months. And it's because the, in my quiet time, and I, I prayed, I actually prayed through this a few weeks ago. It brought me to tears because of Psalm 103, verse 10. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. Like I just, I just said, because this comes from God's word, if you repent, and you experience God's restoration, you'll have freedom from your sin. Look what the next verse says. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love towards those who love him, towards those who fear him, excuse me. Check this out, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. College students, when you repent of your sins, when you experience God's restorations, your sins are stripped away from you. They are forgiven as far as the east is from the west is. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. God created you from dust, he lo- but yet he still loves you and he wants to use you. You have to repent. You have to be restored. And God is faithful to do it. And you might ask the question of Dakota, how can somebody be restored after doing something like that? I love what Jeff said um, during that second worship song when he had our, had our heads bowed and our hands open, offering as a sacrifice. Many of you came in here with baggage tonight. And I don't know who this is for. Many of you came in here with battles that you haven't talked about, with hurt that you don't want to speak of, with things that are going on in your life right now that you don't want to talk about, but you need restoration from it. It might be a sexual sin. It might be drugs. It might be alcohol. It might be your family. It might be depression. It might be anxiety. Your sin, there's, God is bigger than your sin. You just have to forgive. There's no sin big enough to keep you from God. God loves you too much. There's nothing that you can do that makes God say, oh, I'm not gonna forgive that. That's against his character. My, my, my exhortation, my encouragement, my, I beg you, if you came in here with battles tonight, if you came in here with baggage tonight and you haven't talked about it, talk to somebody. But more importantly, before you talk to somebody, repent of it. King David, when he committed the adultery with Bathsheba, he wrote one of the most beautiful psalms of repentance. Many of y'all know it, Psalm 51. This is how, you want, you want me to answer the question that of how can somebody be restored like that? Thank you for asking. God's word's gonna answer it, not Dakota. Psalm 51 is one of the most beautiful psalms. And I'm, I'm gonna turn there with y'all so I can read it from my Bible and not my laptop. Psalm 51, I'm gonna read verses one through 13. And I mean, I want us to, I want us to just, t- I want you to take this in. And I encourage you this week, this, for all of us, because all of us need to repent of sin. Even when you have a relationship with Jesus, when we give our lives to Jesus, we're not perfect. And I tell college students this all the time. Ever since I gave my life to Jesus, I'm not pursuing perfection. I'm pursuing the presence of God because in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. I implore you to meditate on Psalm 51 this week. Sit, one verse, pick one verse and sit on it because you could spend an hour on it. I heard Daniel say this in Bellevue um, Sunday morning yesterday. You could sit on one verse for an hour and still not get everything out of it. Meditate on God's word and let it shape your heart, shape your mind, change your heart, change your mind. Because the more you're in God's word, the more you'll be able to live out God's word. Psalm 51 says this right here. David writes, be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love. According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. David says, for I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. 
Surely you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. Verse 10, God create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I love verse 11. This, this is the view that David had of his sin. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Psalm 51 is an outline for how we should ask for forgiveness and experience restoration. In Colossians, what I want us to walk away with tonight is action steps of how you can repent and experience God's restoration. And for, so it's a sub point. Sub point A would be recognize God for who he is. <clears throat> like I said, when you recognize God for who he is, you'll recognize your sin for what it is. And this, all of these action steps that I'm giving you for restoration, not my opinion. My opinion changes like Memphis's weather. This is the word of God that I'm giving you. And these action steps come straight from Psalm 51. So we see, when I, when I say recognize God for who he is, David did that in verses one and two when he said, gracious, faithful in love, compassionate, and able to blot out our rebellion. So first, you have to recognize God for who he is. But subpoint B, you have to recognize your sin for what it is. Notice how David started with God first. He had the right perspective of God, and when he had the right perspective of God, it gave him the right perspective of his sin. And that comes straight from verses three through five. For I'm conscious of my rebellion. My sin is always before me. Against you, you alone have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. It goes back to what's the perspective you have of your sin. But lastly, when you do those things, when you recognize God for who he is, when you recognize your sin for what it is, lastly, you can repent and experience God's restoration. Praise the Lord. When you recognize God for who he is, when you recognize your sin for what it is, you can repent and experience God's restoration. And that comes through the rest, that comes through the rest of the verses that I read, 7 through 13. Uh, some of our college leaders spoke, talked about this tonight, what's a life verse that means a lot to you. And Psalm 51, 12 would probably be my life verse if I chose one. Because it's restore. And I, lo I love it. We're talking about restoration tonight. What David asked God to do restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. When you ask, God will give it to you according to his will. Let me add, I'm, don't ask for worldly things. And it, like I love Daniel says it every week. When you ask for a Lamborghini, don't expect to walk out in the parking lot and a fresh Lambo's out there. No, no, no. Ask according to God's will and it'll be given. But here's even a step further. When you ask according to God's will, you'll be so much better that it's his way and not your way. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And anybody can enjoy the blessing of a restored relationship with Jesus if they turn to him. For some of us, we have a relationship with the Lord, but we haven't read our Bibles in a while or we haven't prayed in a long time. The Lord is waiting for you to come back to him. For others in the room, we've never had a moment in our life that we've turned to the Lord, and you need to do that tonight. 
The Lord is waiting for you to come to him. And it starts with having a relationship with Jesus.